Hey, it's Rebecca, and you can hear new episodes of No Limits four days early on TuneIn. You may have heard we launched our first episode of RJ Answers, where I'm taking your questions. If you want a chance to talk to me on No Limits about your career, send your questions to No Limits with RJ Podcast at gmail.com. That's No Limits with RJ Podcast at gmail.com. I'm looking forward to hearing from all of you. I do read all the emails that go to that address. Telling the story of me checking into a mental health institute before I start my job here at ABC. That's a that's I'm still I'm slightly, you know, I have like this weird embarrassment in front of you because you're my coworker and it's you're supposed to be strong and you're supposed to be this, you know, young, passionate, excited. What I'm realizing now and in my therapy that I've had since, you can be both. Mm-hmm. You can have, you know, fallibility, you can have a disease, a mental health challenge. You don't even have to depends on how you, you know, what you have. Everybody's is different. And you can still succeed. From ABC, it's No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis, and each week we're talking to the most bold and influential women playing at the top of their game, trying to demystify success and what it really takes to get there, and all the trade-offs. Whether you're looking for answers or you just want to hear a good story, you're in the right place. On today's episode, ABC's very own chief meteorologist, Ginger Z. Her unexpected and unfiltered story of struggle and resilience, the self-proclaimed natural disaster, details her story from the moment she fell in love with the weather, to her battle with depression, to finding her inner strength and gratitude. Ginger Z, welcome to No Limits. Thank you. I am so happy to be across this table from you. I'm thrilled to have you here. Ginger's a friend. She's a colleague. She is our chief meteorologist at ABC News, the first female chief meteorologist for a major network, which is a huge accomplishment. It is. It's pretty exciting. And really, there haven't been a lot of meteorologists. So like, just to be one of the few of those is pretty special. Because you actually studied meteorology. That's how you become a meteorologist, not just because you play one on television. Correct. But you are on Good Morning America every single morning, covering all the weather headlines. You're on World News Tonight almost every night as Mm -hmm. well. You have your ABC News original digital series, Food Mm -hmm. Forecast. And now you are also an author. Your book out today, Natural Disaster, I Cover Them, I Am One. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I love it, Ginger. Seriously, this is, first of all, I would encourage everyone who's listening to read the book because I think for anybody who thinks about getting into this business, it's very useful to understand what really does happen behind the scenes. And you let people in on a lot of real, authentic experiences and it gets raw. Oh, yeah. No, this is not a this is not a book where you say, oh, it's very nice and I'm in a nice sweater and I look really I'm going to give you the the kind story. No. Well, I mean, the (laughs) whole thing, the real one, the whole thing begins with you canceling your wedding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. I went in. (laughs) <laughs> to, to write this book, I really wanted to write a board book for children. Like I had a baby. I thought I'll start with like four year olds. That's a that's a really easy, you know, write a couple of words, draw some pictures, put some weather together. <laughs> but I had a very simple concept in mind. And we went in and I told them about this character, Helicity, that's semi-autobiographical that I've had in my head forever. And they said, you should write that for middle school age. So then I said, OK, and we start talking about my career and then my personal life. And they're like, that's a book. So I went from writing what I thought was going to be a 12-page board book for for a preschooler <laughs> to allowing my life to be wide open. And, I'm, and I couldn't be happier to do it because I think what came out of it was closure for me. I think it's a really big moment where I said that was a part of my life. 
memoir is a weird word when people use that because I'm like, memoir to me means you're done or you're, mm. you know, where mm-hmm. you, you, you kind of told your story. This is just that first section of my story and the part that I hope will propel me to be so much better in the following. And you also talk about the fact that you're writing because you want to give people that honesty around mm-hmm. depression mm-hmm. and some of the things that you've dealt with in your life trying to commit suicide mm-hmm. at one point. Yeah. Um, what was it like to write this? So uh, there were points where I had to stop because it upset me so much, where I what I didn't realize I hadn't thought about that that much. And they encouraged me, the publishers and the editors and such, they said, go all the way, write everything down. And that's that's hard to do because that's honesty with yourself. I don't know if any of us have told our own story to ourselves before. Yeah. And then there are a lot of parts of my life where I just covered it up, ran away from it, said that didn't happen. And moved on. What and, was the hardest? <laughs> oh, gosh. I, and time always, you know. So I think some of the, the telling the story of me checking into a mental health institute before I start my job here at ABC. That's a that's I'm still I'm slightly, you know, I have like this weird embarrassment in front of you because you're my coworker and it's you're supposed to be strong and you're supposed to be this, you know, young, passionate, excited. What I'm realizing now and in my therapy that I've had since you can be both. Mm-hmm. You can have, you know, fallibility. You can have a disease, a mental health challenge. You don't even have to. Depends on how you, you know, what you have. Everybody's is different, and you can still succeed. I did. I I was going through some of the worst at my most successful times, and yeah. so I had this two two sides of me thing that I've always had. And so now, saying it out loud, writing in a book for everybody to read, and then publicly talking about it, I think that's the next level of healing. And yeah. so those were the moments, the more, the more, you know, recent, I go back to the wedding that I, that I had to call off and I'm proud, you know, I'm proud of that moment, which sounds so strange. It was heartbreaking in the time. And, and I love the, what a lovely person he is, but now he's got his family mm-hmm. and we have our own lives. And I think all of us grow and we can see perspective when we have time. So those stories were almost easy to tell me drunk under a bridge in Chicago. Easy to tell. <laughs> Maybe Who not. hasn't been drunk under a bridge in Chicago? I certainly have. In a blizzard, have. though. Come yeah, on. Yeah, not in a blizzard. No. To, to have a meteorologist that's in a blizzard <laughs> under a bridge having a homeless woman hand her her hat, that's, that's, wow, you that's need time moment. to tell that story. Yeah. yeah, that's a moment. Well, I think, I also think that there is strength in vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And I think in our job, it is a public-facing job. I didn't know frankly, a lot of these things about you in the book that I that I read about. But I also think that if you live today in a public facing job and you're trying to conceal things and yeah. you're trying to hold them back from being exposed, that has to be a very exhausting existence. It does. And I think I see, especially after I did Dancing with the Stars, that changed a lot for me. It changed my demo. That sounds so strange. But the people who used to like watching me on television were probably my biggest fan base. Were mostly men. Love you guys. Awesome. But <laughs> kind of like as dancing changed it to young women. And I suddenly had this huge group of women in general, but mostly young women, reaching out to me, telling me, you're my inspiration. You're my I'm like, what? I, I am. <laughs> and they see this glossy, I'm you know, covered in rhinestones and dancing with their favorite Val and, and I'm I become this sort of like shiny object to them. And I thought they need to know that I've had major issues too. Some of them would just without me prompting they would just write me and say i'm struggling with this i have Mm. this i'm addicted to this i'm doing that and i was like whoa i don't know why they're sharing their story why they feel like i'm their inspiration but i do feel like they should know that i am not 
the glossy Instagram that everybody puts out. And that's, I think, learning each other's stories. That's something else that so far, I don't think I'm an expert at life, but I want to talk to people. I want to hear what their story is because we can sit down or we can be on a bus or you never know what the person next to you is going through. And it kind of helps. My mom's the expert at this. She's like, you, she's the one on the plane you don't want to sit next to. Like, cause she will get your entire story out of you. Cause she's eternally curious. She loves people. She loves, and there's something beautiful about that. Yeah. There's something really You nice. have to respect, my dad is that way. Mm-hmm. We'll say to my dad, almost every time he gets off a plane, he has a story to tell us. And we're like, dad, did the person next to you want to tell you this story or did you force them to tell and you how, this And how big were the headphones they tried to put totally. on to protect themselves? We literally themselves. always say like, dad, did they, did he try to, or she try to put the headphones in? Cause you need to watch for that. Yes. Those are <laughs> signs in the grocery store line she's amazing she can get an entire like someone had a miscarriage in the grocery store line like how did you get that out with three people in front of you in the book you tell the story about falling in love with the weather at nine years old Mm -hmm. that you were just really into storms yes and that that I remember even before then, but that summer was very stormy. Like I can actually climb to logically look back and be super nerdy about it. (laughs) Um, But we were spending so much time on the lake that my brother and I would regularly see these thunderstorms roll across. And I didn't know then, but that was almost like storm chasing because it's very flat. You can see just like you're in Oklahoma, you can see forever. And so I'd be watching these storms and the power and the beauty of nature having that energy. It grabbed me. And there's something I fell in love with it. There's a real it's, it developed a passion for it. And then I realized as I was in school, science and math just made more sense to me. You know, you sit me down and grammatically, I'm not strong. I didn't take any communications classes. I don't know how I got here, to be honest. <laughs> no, I, you'd never know that because, yeah. first of all, also in the book, you talk about when you're 19 years old and you went to this. It was your first TV job. Yeah. It was like an internship, but yeah. you were on television. Oh, my gosh. My PBS station. Do you ever look back on those Videos? I don't have the tape. Oh, you don't have the tape? No, I'm so upset. So I didn't save anything. I think I, it was all VHS or beta. And so I taped over everything. Because, you know, that's another thing about life. Don't tape over yourself. That's a very good point. <laughs> right? Um, I, there are some videos that got taped over in my youth, and I would yes. love to go back and see those videos. Wouldn't that be nice to have? Nice in the way that I was so hor- horrible on TV, like everybody usually is when <laughs> you, they start. That's I actually tell people that because yeah. I think young people who start in this business, they think that there's there's like somebody who's going to start on day one and be fantastic yeah. and be like, I'm great. And this just happened. Ugh. That doesn't happen. I sounded more like Minnie Mouse than I do now. I was so, <laughs> so green. And it would. But at the same time, the repetition of being able to go to a studio, learn how to make graphics, even if we were stealing Weather Channel graphics and Photoshopping off of them, which is totally illegal, um, that experience and coming from that very bottom you can't get less than a pbs station in northwest indiana really i mean when you say you start at the very bottom um that experience brought me each step brought me to a new place and i wouldn't be able to have the skill set that i do now had i not made those graphics you know i wouldn't wouldn't know what i would want to what story i'd want to tell and actually weirdly i did kind of a national look on that show because we weren't able to get too (laughs) focused so be based on the graphics that you had access to That's correct uh when when and i'm i know people come to you all the time and ask you like ginger how do i get into this industry yeah. what's your what's your advice what do you tell people if they want to be a meteorologist i say become a meteorologist because a lot of people still think that they cannot 
become a meteorologist and then get on TV. In general, most people need to have the science background. So that's first step. And then when it comes to TV, it's shake everybody's hand, meet everybody. It's that that part that we've gotten away from by having our phones and social media. It's wonderful to connect with people on Twitter. I answer. I try to answer everybody. If a student writes me, I write them back. And I think they're always surprised. So I think. Is that your trouble with the word no? Yes. (laughs) yes. But they they. Take a chance. You know, if you want to do an internship at a Chicago TV station, write the people who are the people you want to do an internship with. They'll probably write you back, Mm -hmm. whether whether they can have you or not. And so just kind of going over that barrier that everybody puts in their own brain there, the expectation that they think is there, and then saying, my mom was very good about that. Like, anything's possible. She will make, you know, if your assignment was due on Friday at 4, she'd say, but you couldn't get it done by then. You can tell your teacher why it needs to be Friday at 5 or whatever it is. There's a, there's a way around things, too. You know, there's just ways to make things work, um, especially if you love, love, love it so much. You have to. And then don't let other people say no. Yeah. I think, or not taking advice is my best advice because mm. that hurt me a lot of times, you know, where I, where I would listen to somebody and then let that kind of govern where I was going or what I was doing. And then I'd be like, wait, that was a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So just going for it. I don't know. It's so and then experience. The best thing they have, too, is the phone. We didn't. Have I always this. say this. I always tell people, yeah. you have this resource in the palm of your hand. Yes. You can experiment with that and try things. This is your PBS station. Yeah, you know? completely. And and you're able to to record yourself. Or I always tell students that are in Times Square, I'm like, you're in Times Square, New York today. Stand out there, have your mom videotape you, yep. and do a stand up. Do yep. something active. Do interview somebody. Yeah. Be embarrassed and feel like you you don't know what you're doing because if you get that out of the way here, you can do it anywhere. When. When you look back on all of the stories that you've covered over the years, what's been the most difficult story to tell? More from our discussion after a quick word from our sponsor. Over 3 million businesses use Indeed.com for hiring. And independent research shows five times more hires are made through Indeed than any other job site. By creating the easiest, most effective hiring experience, Indeed helps businesses find great new people every day. Right now, Indeed is giving new users a $50 credit to post a sponsored job on the world's number one job site. Claim your credit at Indeed.com slash offer. Terms, conditions, and quality standards apply. When you look back on all of the stories that you've covered over the years, what's been the most difficult story to tell? Oh, gosh. There's been quite a few, but I think Katrina will never be trumped. And that's why it's an entire chapter in my book. Yeah. Um, Martha Raddatz was speaking the other day and she was talking about how she went to Ethiopia for the um, in the. 80s for the big hunger crisis and she had a moment where it was kind of her first time out in the field it was and this Katrina was that for me she said she broke down so badly she could hardly function because you actually feel and you realize you're going there you're very I had a lot of young bravado kind of like I'm coming in here I couldn't wait to see the water line from the storm surge I couldn't wait to see all of the science stuff and then I'm looking around and I saw my first body bags and I saw my first you know people in a community that had lost everything and then they're coming to me because I have a symbol on my shirt that says at the time NBC and they they think well you have you can help me mm-hmm. and I realize not only can I not help you but no one's going to be able to help you for a very long time and they'll say when am I going to get my check um I don't know you're not going to have I I don't know how that works you don't have a mailbox and you probably won't for months if not years uh you know you lost your neighbors or your friends or your family and it was just so real that there was a point seven days in a dog died in front of me and I had seen a lot by that point and I broke 
And it was just what Martha described of this. You become human and you realize mm-hmm. you're telling human stories. And so it's, you know, journalism, everybody talks about being very uh, neutral and whatever. In a, in a case like that, when you have people suffering so much around you, you have to be human. You have to allow yourself to feel too because otherwise you can't tell a good story. So I think that was a very big breaking moment for me. I broke down. I called my news director. I was already, I was feeling sick that we had not eaten or drank anything for seven days. We hadn't showered. We were just like everybody else. And I told her, I don't, I don't know that I can be here for – I need a couple of days to like gather myself because mm-hmm. I'm not doing a great job right now. <laughs> and then I'd like to come back and I want to be able to tell the stories. And every story I've told since then, I think about that storm and I think about what those people went through. And I hope that our country never has that happen again. Likewise. How do you think about the responsibility of that storytelling mm. when you're when you're faced with people who are – you're there, you're in that experience and it's – it's not a, it's not a cakewalk. It's not enjoyable, but you know you're going to go home to your bed. Yes. They don't have one to go home to. And They've lost was, loved ones. That was my first experience with that as well on such a huge level. I mean, in, in Gulfport alone, 150 people died. So everybody you talked to knew someone who died or was very closely related to the person that died. And so not not only did they die, but they lost their entire home and they had, you know, the, the town wasn't going to function any longer. And it was not just one town. It was a town after town after town along this coast. And I had never experienced in my life loss like that. And then to have what I would say is survivor's guilt mm. uh, because yeah. – when I, when we pull away, even if it's a week later, and you've told as many stories as you possibly can, you it hits you hard. And I was in a – I think we were in Nashville. It was on our way back, and we stopped, and we ate a real meal, which always makes me feel sick after I've been on a big storm because I never eat. And so you eat that full meal, and then I felt guilty that I had a full meal because I thought, when are those people ever going to have a meal? And then I got in the shower, and I felt guilty because those people weren't going to have a shower. And I start bawling in the shower, and I'm like, I can't. And I get home, and it transitions for me, and it did after that storm and after every storm since, to what can I do now? Usually it's give money, and that typically, you know, it doesn't make you feel – it does make you feel better. I mean, honestly, it makes you feel better because you're giving what you can. You can't move your life there um, necessarily and dive into, you know, Habitat for Humanity or something unless you're really Peace Corps, and I don't know, like, I wanted to quit my job at the time. So giving money, and then I get into the – um, how can I tell the story even better next time? Because there's where the responsibility lies is how do I get how do I make this worth it for them? How do I not just show their sorrow? How do I how do I do? And what I told ABC when I came here and Ben Sherwood, and he was so receptive to this was I thought that a lot of times you'd see a network there and they would always be just talking about the damage. And I thought, I don't know why we don't get ahead of storms. Storms are exciting and fascinating and, and all of this. And, you know, not just storm chase, but the forecasting of it, the warning part of it. That's what I can do. That's the part of my education and experience that I can really help with so that hopefully it's not 150 people that died in one town. Hopefully it's way less. And that's what I think as a meteorologist, that's what I take as my biggest responsibility. And then telling their stories afterward, very important money from the government. You know, there's a lot of reasons why we need to be there. With that, uh, with that kind of reporting and foreseeing foreshadowing what's Mm -hmm. to come 
there's a huge responsibility to get it right. Yeah. <laughs> How much do you go back and look and say, what did I say versus what actually happened? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's all we do. We do a breakdown. Um, the National Weather Service this year got great accolades, as they should have, um, especially for our surrounding hurricane season. If you look at the paths, they've, they've gotten better and better and better. And on a personal level, when I used to be in Chicago, for example, I would regularly go back and say, how many days before did I get people a heads up that they'd have a hailstorm? Because even if it's going to be hail that's ruining your car and your your roof and it's not going to be killing you necessarily, I just felt a lot of responsibility, especially in a local market, to do that. Um, I take it very seriously, almost too seriously. (laughs) I'm a little overly ambitious with and with my team. And I thought that this last hurricane season was a great example because our job beyond just showing who's going to be affected, it's the impacts. And so that's what I've now settled on. This is my biggest job. It's not just who's in the cone, but who's going to feel what when. And if I can make that clear in one minute that I have on television, I feel like I've really done something. Because if I can get to that, you know, 30 people that live in this part of the, you know, Florida, on this side of Florida, and they realize that they're more in the storm surge area. And if these people over here, and then if they tell people, hey, I watched this person that I find credible and that I, you know, or they follow me on social media and I can get that information out correctly, it feels pretty good. It feels pretty exciting. Again, on the locals, just going back to Chicago, though, I used to have people tweeting me from their basement and they'd be like, what you do I do? Us, you told us to take cover. When can we get out? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so it would get very personal. I like that too. I like the ability to do that in the local market. You can come out now. You can come out now. <laughs> Speaking of social media, you have a hilarious yeah. chapter about internet trolls. Oh, yeah. And um, I definitely see every once in a while when you retweet a troll with oh, yeah. some hilarious comment. <laughs> um, I liked the gravelly voice. Thank you. Story. Thank you. <laughs> tell, us, tell us a little bit about that. So in Chicago, that was... That was where I really got the internet was blowing up. Everybody was starting to really feel their feel feeling themselves, allowing themselves to say whatever they wanted. And so I would get these emails, but it wasn't just to me, it was to the entire TV station. So I don't know why they had it set up like that over there, but we would all my co anchors, everybody would get it, including my boss. So this woman writes and says that she doesn't like my gravelly voice thing that I do. It's like all these young people these days are trying to lower their voice, but it's not real and it doesn't sound good and it I'm annoying and I'm blah, 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 you know, like all of the things. And I realized part of why it hurt was because she was right. <laughs> I was definitely trying to lower my I voice. I got the exact same advice when I started. It was yeah. like talk in the lowest. I would yes. try and do everything. Like <laughs> I, somebody told me to drink bourbon, so I tried to drink <laughs> bourbon to lower my voice. Were they joking? I don't know, yes. but yeah, it's it's crazy the things people will say to do. Yep. But anyway, the woman who tells you to talk in the gra- that you talk in the gravelly voice. Yes, and then so she she comes. The the thing I learned with her, and it was probably the time that I needed to learn it was. I can write back. I can accept what she's saying because there's part of it that's true. Yes, I was trying to do something with my voice that probably was not normal. So, okay, let me fix that. But at the same time, the way she said it and the words she chose, I I used that to write her back and, and give her a little taste and remind her there was a human being at the other end of that keyboard. And I am trying to learn and I am just a normal person. And she then becomes one of my biggest fans. And they all do. I mean, most of them. I shouldn't Mm -hmm. say they all. Most people that have this back and forth, they'll usually turn and they become your best fan. And I think what I tell people, I wish that, you know, bullying is so big and, and I have younger siblings and I see what happens to them online. All of us have fans, whether you're on TV or not. 
You all have an aunt, uncle, cousin, friend, sister, brother. Somebody's on your team. I think we have to be let these people know that it's not okay to do that by putting them out there, by sharing their message. They're the ones that wrote you. So quote tweeting is one of my favorite things. They wrote me. That Everybody should see that, that they wrote me that. And I'll do it for nice ones too because I think you share good and bad. Um, but just allowing people to realize. And then, you know, most of the time your fans or your people will take care of them anyway. They'll usually shut down their page. That's true. <laughs> That's, I have seen that happen. Mm-hmm. When I look at your life. On the one hand, you go on Good Morning America every morning. You have amazing makeup and hair Mm -hmm. (laughs) every morning and you have your clothes and you have you're so put together. And yet I know you're a person who wants to convey the truth and be authentic. How do you balance that in your head? I think that's the one thing that I've I've gotten and what's gotten me better in my job is allowing the real me to look through into that camera. Obviously, if I'm having a terrible morning, I'm going to try to put a little bit of a face on because I don't need, you know, five million people feeling my frustration with whatever it is that I'm doing. So there's a little level of I don't think it's acting, but it's it's a protection. Uh, But I do if I'm if I'm passionate about something or I, you know, I want to speak out on something. You can tell when someone's connecting in a camera. And I think that the there are joyous moments. This morning, I genuinely had a great time watching Mark Ballas and other people, you know, doing this Dancing with the Stars thing, just a silly game in front of us. And I had a really good time watching it. I think that comes across, that genuine part comes across in TV. There's stuff that I'm sure you report on and you love and you're passionate about finance. And I don't know anything that you're ever talking about, but I can tell you do. (laughs) So (laughs) thank you. So taking what we're good at, taking our job and then in these this in these moments when I'm not on TV, I am not in my heels and mm-hmm. and smiling ear to ear. And I think that just allowing people to realize we're all complex. We're all allowed to be multiple things. You can be bright and shiny for one moment and then you can be not so much the other moment. And giving yourself forgiveness to be that is okay because you can't be Facebook or Instagram all of life. So – You also, on a more serious note, you talk about depression Mm -hmm. throughout your book and you talk about how it has hindered your life Mm -hmm. in various ways and how much a part of even, you know, coming into ABC, how Mm -hmm. much a part of your life it was. Where are you at this point with all of that? I am. It's almost eerie for me because I, I, I shouldn't ever feel like this, but I do feel like I know it's not gone. It's never gone. I don't think you you beat depression and you're suddenly like, I'm better. I've learned how to deal with it. I've learned how and who to go to when I start to have certain feelings. I had a lot of it really hard and fast. And I had a lot of times where I got so low that I didn't want to live. And so I had, unfortunately, many experiences to now work off of to say, I can't get to that point anymore. And I've also now found gratitude. And gratitude is in this. I was just talking to Tony Robbins the other day and it was like, I, I get why everybody's been on him for 20 years. <laughs> oh, okay. You see the appeal? Yeah. He's, yeah. he's really got a future, that guy. <laughs> uh, but I I see, and that's all he talks about. And that's the thing I found. I found gratitude. And I also found purpose beyond what I thought my purpose was. And I think whether that's faith for you or it becomes, um, you know, and I, I had to get medical help to get to that point. Some people don't. Some people are able to do that with their upbringing or whatever it is. I just and my mom had told me for years, you need to commit to getting better because something's off in your brain 
I mean, really, that's what it was. And I think that the therapist that I met here in New York was the first therapist of probably 20 in my life that actually worked for me. So you have to be open to trying a lot of things, trying a lot of people, being very honest with yourself. And then I'm at this place now that I know if it comes back and if anything happens after I have the baby, that's something my mom's always worried about postpartum Mm -hmm. because depression is something that's so simple for me to flip into. I was fine after Adrian, thankfully, but every everyone's different. And so every pregnancy is different. So I'm going to be heightened awareness, ready for that moment because I can spiral fast and I know myself. And I think just having that and having the tools and having the people and the support around you and talking about it. If I say it out loud, it's real hard to get to that little yeah. point. So that's where I'm at now. I feel and it feels, again, eerie that I'm so happy. <laughs> I have such sunshine in myself. It's very weird. (laughs) I'm so happy to hear that. That's probably part of the thing that allowed you to write about it on the other side of it is so different Mm -hmm. than to write about it and be honest about it when you're going through it. And I don't think and I think being realistic about it not being forever every and Mm -hmm. you can make any analogy you want. But for a meteorologist, you have to do troughs and ridges because that's how the atmosphere works. And really, you can't have such a ridge like this without that trough. You can't. And so I think in life there will be others. Hopefully they're not as severe or deep. You know, they can be a little bit more modified, I hope. Um, And I can help modify those in myself. But that's my message to so many people is and something I say to myself every single day. I'll ask myself after something frustrates me or angers me or whatever it is, is this going to matter tomorrow? And all of these things, they matter. They're in a book. But do they matter? No. They're not, they don't define anything. They're not, and that's why I was able to tell them too and why the stories get easier and easier with time to tell. But it's not just tomorrow, certainly won't matter in a week and definitely won't in a year. And if if you can do that and question your, do that checklist, I think you get past things really fast. What's been the toughest lesson along the way? Uh, Being honest with myself. Uh, That is one I I would regularly lie to myself. Lying came so and I don't know. I've worked a lot with therapists to see why lying was such a, you know, defense mechanism or whatever it was. It came in many forms. But lying to other people is terrible and you shouldn't do it and all of those things. But when you lie to yourself, you've then lied to everybody anyway. So it's the it's the worst thing that you can do and not allowing you know, if I really feel something, it's the yes and no thing being able to say no when I really mean no. That's still I'm not perfect at it, but I have gotten so much better and it allow it gives you freedom and it lets you be like, holy cow, I'm I'm in here. I am a person and I do deserve to live and I do deserve, you know, start at the bottom that I deserve to live, go to the next level. I deserve to have a holiday (laughs) with my family. But are you okay? I'm along the lines of saying no. I think that you raise a good point. Is there anything that you do? Like, are there questions that you ask yourself that allow you to get to that? Because I think actually that's a very useful thing for a lot of people in many forms. Yes. Everybody can learn from this. It's the same questions. Is this going to matter tomorrow? Is this going to matter in a year or a week or a year? Um, And a Thanksgiving with my father, which I haven't had in 20 years. I've really I just figured it out. Like, I can't believe it's been that long. Of course, it means the world. Who knows how long we have our parents? Who knows how long we have each other? So if it's something for family and something that's so really at this point kind of monumental, I was telling my husband this and he's like, no way. You haven't seen your dad for Thanksgiving in 20 years? I'm like, no. Between my mom, you know, always being with my moms or working most of the last 20 years for every holiday. If I had time to go somewhere, it was with my stepfather's family in Chicago. I haven't. I haven't spent. And it that is so it's sad. <laughs> 
and it needs to change. Well, and it's so, part of the trade-offs. That's I think that yeah. To be honest about what our business is, of it course. is one of the trade-offs, especially in the early years mm-hmm. when you're when you're building the career. Yeah, and you have to do it. The sacrifices you you have to be open to that. I think that just knowing your limit. Um, knowing when you don't have a limit, (laughs) (laughs) knowing when you can get to that point, but it will mean something a year from now to me. And that's how one of those things that I ask myself when I, when I go to say no, is it going to be worth saying no? The trade-off. If you weren't a meteorologist, if you weren't on Good Morning America every morning, what would you want to do with your life? Mm. So I don't know whether at all. I can't even like go work for an airline. I had to strip. The- oh, well, <laughs> I mean, is is working for an airline? Oh, you would you would, would look at meteorology like forecast, for? Yeah. For oh, air- interesting. They have meteorologists, you know, something. But I think it's fair to get away from meteorology if you're asking that question. And then my answer gets really fun because I would love to bartend again. <laughs> I really would. I had the best time. I bartended probably for eight years at country, at a country club during weddings. And so I would help plan the weddings. And I loved like that entertaining industry, you know, not entertainment, mm-hmm. but the actual watching people at their happiest moment in life. Usually, even when they got a little messy at the end was fun for me to watch. <laughs> I enjoyed it. And, and it was very much, you know, the social media of getting tips is the same thing. It's like you get that immediate reaction. You know you've done a great job or you've made someone's night. Or And there is an entertainment factor of it because I'd be behind the bar having these conversations with the people, asking those questions and learning their stories. And at the end of it, I guess that's what I like. <laughs> I can imagine the people out there who now are like, I think Ginger Z was our bartender at our – has anyone contacted you oh, about that? The the best. And I, I also did um, – I was at a, another – uh, bed and breakfast and so they realized when I was in, on TV in Chicago they're like no way that was like five years ago you were elbow deep cleaning our toilets I'm like yeah that was me, <laughs> that was me. what was your favorite drink to make oh I loved I just love old fashions because I love muddling things or meddling whatever muddling, muddling. Yeah. I love that you know just getting all of the spices right so I never got to the really extreme stuff but like a solid old-fashioned that would stress me out if there was a big crowd of people oh I loved it that was that pressure of of seeing all of the people come off that bus and they were already too drunk and I had so much fun just like <laughs> fulfilling every shot's need and I thought that was the best and I I would probably hate it now if I went back actually <laughs> What's the worst advice? We were talking earlier about advice, and you, uh-huh. you basically said you try not to listen not, to it. But yeah. what's the worst advice you've received along the way? Uh, it was probably my professor. I wrote about this in the book, and uh, I think I just listened for a very short time that he told me that I wasn't academic enough to apply for the scholarship. And I, I often just listened to people. I would say, oh, okay, they must know what they're talking about because he had worked for that scholarship before. And he said, I know you're not going to get it, so it was a waste of time. I don't think anything's a waste of time. If you feel passionately about something, if some him telling me that I wasn't going to be chosen was like, who says that? Right. It's the opposite of what my mom taught me. What are you talking about? My mom taught me Disney princess stuff. Like you can do anything and dream anything and go anywhere because if you don't have that in your head, of course it's not going to happen. If you go into it writing an essay thinking this is not going to get me a scholarship, that's not a good start. <laughs> yeah. It's – Somebody tweeted me the other day. Um, I, I tweeted out this thing about a woman who became CEO and the steps that she took. And yeah. somebody tweeted back and was like, remember, most people can't become the CEO. And I didn't tweet them back, but I wanted to tweet them back. <laughs> yes. Yeah, with that thinking, you never will. You never will. 
And I never thought, and I, but you setting those goals, and that's something that I also write about in the book, I made my passwords my goals. And so starting when I wanted to be on the Today Show since I was in high school, like right, right when I decided TV, so right when I was in college, I had my first Hotmail account. And I said, I'm going to write it every day because a password is something that you write, at least at that time. They didn't yeah. have like the enabled whatever <laughs> handprint. <laughs> but you'd write it every day, and it was in my head that I needed that to be my reality. And then it happened. And I think that there's it's very vision boardy of me, but it is so true. I don't think you could ever say I can't do that, or you should set the the craziest idea and let let that be your goal. I think it's great advice from a career and vision and life standpoint. As the business and economics correspondent who's covered a bunch of hacks over the years, yeah. I don't know that I'm comfortable with <laughs> with making your passwords your goals. <laughs> well, I might have changed how I do that, but yes, but but. Do something where you're writing it or you're living it every day. <laughs> I think it's a great idea. And you need your fingerprint in your face now. Yeah, exactly. Rebecca, we're fine. When you were back, back when you were doing that, there just weren't even breaches, so everything <laughs> no. was fine. Ginger Z, thank you so much for coming on No Limits. It was thank great you. chatting with you. It was great to chat with you too. I hope everybody enjoys it. Natural disaster. I cover them. I am one. By Ginger Z, my friend and ABC News chief meteorologist. Thank you so much. Thank you. And now it's time for our No Limits Entrepreneur of the Week, where we feature one of our listeners who's building something of her own. And our No Limits Entrepreneur this week is Jessica Gartenstein. She is the CEO and co-founder of Fronin. Jessica just graduated from the University of Chicago. Congratulations, Jessica. That's awesome. U of C, my alma mater. Throughout her college career, Jessica had internships in finance and marketing, but this past May, she and a friend won first place at a startup competition at the Booth School of Business, that is, the University of Chicago Business School, for their banana-based non-dairy nice cream called Fronin. One month after winning, they officially launched in Hyde Park Produce and are now featured in nine stores across Chicago. Her biggest turning point, she says that winning the competition at the Booth School completely changed her career path. She and her co-founder would make banana ice cream for fun while at college, but they said they never dreamed of turning it into a business. Jessica says that building Fronin has not only been a turning point in her life, but has also taught her about the importance of doing what you love. Like many college seniors, Jessica felt uncertain about her future career path. She says she always had an entrepreneurial spirit, but never knew how to pursue those passions until she became a part of the startup community at UChicago. Her game-changing decision was to give up her full-time job offer and work on Fronin. I bet that was a hard call, Jessica. I wonder what your parents said. She says her motivation to make the choice was seeing how happy Fronin makes customers. If she could give herself some advice at the start, she would tell herself to listen to the advice of others, but always remember to trust her instincts. If something doesn't feel right, it probably isn't, and to have confidence in her decisions. What I love about Jessica's story is that she went for it. She had an idea, she found a local competition to enter, and that gave her a foot in the door to make her company a reality. And what better way to do that than when you're in college, to test it out? That's a great place to test out ideas. If you're listening in college, start testing, start experimenting. Some food for thought. <laughs> Brought to you by Fronin. <laughs> Some frozen food for thought in windy Chicago. Jessica Gartenstein, I wish you continued success. I look forward to trying your Fronin, and congratulations on being our No Limits Entrepreneur of the Week.
Remember, if you or someone you know should be featured here on No Limits as an entrepreneur, send me your nomination to No Limits with RJ Podcast at gmail.com. That is No Limits with RJ Podcast at gmail.com. I love hearing from you. I read every email that comes into that address. Thank you for those who have shared them. Thank you to those who have made nominations. Again, you're welcome to send me a note. You're also welcome to send me a note there if you have questions and you want to be featured in our RJ Answers segment where we go over career topics. So feel free to do that. And remember to subscribe to this podcast, to like us, and to give us a good review if you are enjoying it. It is something that really helps other users find out about us. And I read every review. I just saw a new one yesterday and it made me very happy. Oh, and as always, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Rebecca Jarvis. Don't forget to use our hashtag No Limits. I also want to give a shout out to the awesome team here who makes this happen every week. My outstanding producer, Taylor Dunn, our wonderful editor, Michelle Boncardo, my fabulous research assistant, Annie Osakwe, David Rind here at ABC Radio, Elizabeth Russo, Josh Cohan, Andrew Kelb, and Steve Jones. Thank you to the ABC Radio team for helping us make this happen. We've got the exclusive view behind the table. What is happening here? It's just beautiful chaos. Every day, right after the show, while the topics are still hot, the ladies go deeper into the moments that make the view the view. To be honest, I was thinking about asking him for a foot massage, and then I I just froze. This is the best gig on TV. And you know, anything can happen. That is what we do here. I'm not going to lie, the chair's a little small for my behind. (laughs) (laughs) The View's Behind the Table podcast. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.